Welcome, everyone, to episode 265 of Some Like It's Got. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and this week, we're doing something a little different. We're trying a new show format. Hopefully, if you're hearing this, it means it went well, so whatever you're about to hear is good. We'll guess we'll see. We're talking about a couple different topics today, topics that each one of us has brought to discuss, and we're just going to see how things go. With me, of course, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing? I'm good, Scott. Uh, interested to try this new format. I will say you are putting a lot of pressure on us to put out a good podcast now, which is sure. something I mean, that this is the whole do. reason why we're doing a new format. We finally got to actually record. Well, the first episode. 264 episodes are just practice, and now this yeah. this is finally a good episode. Yeah. Well, but, I was going to say we we've maybe gotten a good episode. I don't know what do you, what do you think our hit rate is? Probably once every hundred. Yeah, once Probably every a good episode. Yeah, I think that's good. I think. Uh, I think uh, the Enola Holmes episode was a good oh, one. Man. And then, no, no, uh, which one? The second? Oh, you guys didn't do the second one. We didn't, we did, we didn't do two Nola Holmes, but uh, <laughs> we did review the first one. But uh, yeah. back in the, the dark days. But no, I'm happy to be here, Scott. Uh, we have, I think, some interesting topics picked out. Going to kind of just sure. um, have a little bit of, uh, of conversation here about, you know, sort of like film Twittery type topics and stuff like that, you know. Uh, I feel like it's it's stuff that goes beyond our news segments, maybe on our oh, normal, definitely, yeah, uh, normal yeah. podcast, and just kind of is more freeform discussion. So we'll see whether we have anything interesting to offer, but uh, it's worth giving it a shot. I'm I'm confident of that. Yeah, what you said there actually, I, I feel like was kind of I've been wanting to have some sort of like format to just talk about things that don't really fit into the current structure of how we do the podcast, and I mean it never really never really has fit into the structure of how we do the podcast, really. And uh, we also have invited onto the podcast to make it a real three-way discussion here, the, the dulcet tones of Paul Oyama, who already jumped in. So, Paul, how are you doing? Well, I didn't realize this was going to be a three-way conversation. I thought this was like a movie-related topic, so that would be interesting yeah. to, to dive into. You thought um, that you were just going to monologue for 60 minutes, yeah, and then, yeah, yeah, and then yeah, we'll wrap the show yeah. up. Yeah. The Snyder Cut, but yeah. the Oyama uh, Cut, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I, well I, came to, I came to Scott Sheldon with an idea, and I said, I have a podcast idea for us, and it's called J-O-O, Just Our Opinion. And so that's what we're going to be diving into episode one of here today, I think. All right, Just Our Opinions. There it is. You're either going to hate good, me good or reference. love when you when that actually is the name of the podcast, which we have not named. <laughs> yet uh so you know take that for what it's worth guys if this a podcast is called you know joo have fun with that but paul it, this is i think this is your first time on the episode on an episode where since you moved to la is that true or have you been on since you've moved to la oh i think honestly i feel like living in la is a state of mind for me sure. and so I've, I've always it's a it's a pl- i've always been there yeah. you know I mean, you, you also just saw Tenet, so time, it really is a matter of perspective. Maybe even even living in L.A. for years, and this is actually... Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the yeah. test I passed, not everyone did. Yeah, no, it's... it's you opened some of the right doors <laughs> and some of the wrong ones, too, and that was the problem. Yeah, this episode, actually, just us quoting the film Tenet. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm down. I don't know if Scott great, is, but... High entertainment. But no, it, it'll be interesting, too, I think, because these are things that we talk about in private, and so it'll be interesting sure. to see them, you know, in in public. To all of our fast listeners, no, public, yeah, <laughs> air quotes you're, around. You're making around it public. sound. Way, you're making it sound. Making it sound way more salacious than it's going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it's even more exclusive, not because it's cost money, but because no one listens to it. That's why this is exclusive. But yeah, yeah, I think we'll just sort of jump in from there. Like Paul mentioned, we're just sort of we've each come to the podcast today with a topic that we'd like to discuss. It's certainly adjacent to many conversations that we probably had on the podcast before or follow-ups into some of those things that are in the spirit of that. And so to kick us off, 
Scott Harvey gets to gets to have the inaugural topic. Scott, go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess I mentioned it up front. I was like, oh, these are some of like film Twittery topic. I think I said that mainly because like I think I saw this actual question maybe going around on film Twitter like uh, in the last week or two. But um, yeah, no, I, I kind of wanted to talk about uh, the idea of director jail, right, which uh, is is a real thing, right? Uh, somebody, you know, maybe they make a name for themselves as a director and then make a, a choice or two that goes poorly and and suddenly it's like they are are cast to the outskirts and are having a difficult time getting anything off the ground getting anything actually made um and you know this happens to directors for a, a number of reasons but i think you know our our intent here was to talk about somebody who we want to get out of get out of director jail um and that's news to me. I don't. I don't know. We were coming yeah. here with you know. We were we were submitting people to be you know put on ba- on movie bond or movie yeah, bail on, or on, parole on, or I don't know. But, uh, director maybe parole? some electronic yeah. monitoring, but uh, a bond yeah. certainly. But um, he can only make a movie at home. He can't leave yeah. his house. <laughs> uh, the name that I wanted to throw out for this uh, is someone. Uh, you guys may not totally back me up on this because I know you're probably not quite as much of a fan as I am. But David Robert Mitchell. Um, is someone who I, you know, have been a fan of since I saw It Follows in theaters back in 2015, 2016, whenever that dropped. Um, And, uh, you know, instantly fell in love with that movie and was really locked in on what his next project was going to be. And, you know, for multiple years on this podcast, I was talking about Oh yeah, I'm anticipating under the Silver Lake. The, this is going to be the year, guys. This is going to be the year it actually comes out. And then, uh, you know, it did come out, so to speak, but um, not not really because uh, it, it didn't get hardly any of anything of a theatrical run, um, and uh, kind of got ended up getting dumped on. I think it was Amazon Prime, maybe um, when all was said and done. It was dumped on some streaming service and it was just a very divisive movie in general. I mean, if A24, A24 was involved with it, and if they're, if they're dumping it on a streaming service, then you know that. It, then it's um, a day that ends in Y, to be honest with you. I hate, <laughs> I hate to say it, but that is like their well, yeah, maybe. thing. They're, the good news is they're, they're, their movies starting very shortly are going to be getting dumped onto Max rather than Showtime. So <laughs> yeah. a little, maybe a little bit more accessible these days. But, uh, but, under the silver lake was just a very divisive movie in general i mean i personally loved it there are certainly people out there that also feel the same as i do and there are certainly people who feel the other way that it was you know sort of a pretentious um overstuffed sort of you know bold swing that didn't really come off Uh, and since that movie you know there have been rumors about other projects that he's working on there was a superhero movie at one point like an original superhero movie at one point that he was going to do if you look at his imdb he has like five or six projects that are listed there but you know of course we learned last year that it follows has now been given a sequel that uh that david robert mitchell is going to direct with micah monroe returning and uh i mean as excited as i am for that I do feel like maybe this is him, you know, again, this, this is a product of him being in director jail and trying other projects and not really being able to get anywhere with them, probably because of the reaction to under the silver lake. And uh, so with, with having failed in that regard, 
um, he's kind of turned to, okay, well, what do I think I can actually get made? Yeah, well, a sequel to the movie that like actually kind of put me on the map in the first place. Um, and so I'm looking forward to the movie. I mean, I hope we get to see it pretty soon. Uh, but I want him to have, you know, a second chance. Maybe I mean, again, I, I don't, I don't think he ever blew his chance because I, I liked Under the Silver Lake a lot. But I think there's no denying that um, he is going to have a more difficult time getting his own original, you know, products made after what happened with Under the Silver Lake. And uh, I, I think that's that's too bad because I think even, you know, I know you guys weren't as crazy on Under the Silver Lake, but it certainly has its moments, I think. And uh, no, 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 I, I don't, I, y'all didn't hate it or anything from my memory, but I, I, I'm, I'm quite a fan of the film under the silver. Okay. Like I would All like right. to make it, make, like to make it clear. I, uh, on, I guess I, I, podcast. I think, but I anyway, think the film didn't fully come together for me, but even, even if you're not a fan, I think, you know, it's hard to not acknowledge that there are at least sequences in that movie of like really strong filmmaking. Um, and so I think he's not somebody like, even though it was a divisive movie, he's not somebody who you can say, does he really have the juice? Like, I think he does have the juice and I do think he has, you know, a lot more good movies in him. So that was my candidate. That's interesting because not only does he have the, it follows thing, but like, um, there was like an Anne Hathaway, I want to say some sort of dinosaur adjacent situation announced last year. Um, I wonder if sometimes too that movie fans idea of director jail is just people not understanding how like the process of development and like making a film works. Cause sometimes things just take a long time to get made. Um, and it's like, he's been attached to things in the past. It's not like, like to me, at least when I think of director jail, I think of people who like, you don't hear from for, you know, a decade plus, you know, like Mimi later was in director jail. Yeah post uh you know post deep impact and everything up until on the basis of sex like that's kind of um so i i guess that's it's kind of an example that i, I i'm surprised that that's someone you would go to even though i know obviously you love his movies uh, here i mean as it as it was he already took what four three or four years between like it follows and under the silver yeah. lake and like um yeah it seems like he's kind of someone who takes time anyway and so i don't know that it's I don't. I, maybe I don't. But see under, it the, the, under the Silver Lake was done for a significant period of time. That's true. That's before true. And, it was and, released. You know, you're right. It is speculation on my part to some extent, but um, I don't know. It it just raises some alarm bells to me. Obviously, that was a divisive movie, and then you know the fact that he does get attached to all this stuff. But then you look at at IMDb, and you know it's really. Do you, really think, un- you think it was divisive, or do you think just nobody saw it? Because like obviously, you know, there are people who have seen the movie who are like people who will seek out well i think yeah, the, the, the problem is the studio, the studio found the film unmarketable like right like they he, yeah. they, they, like he made both. a movie that they didn't know what to do with and they didn't think anyone was gonna like and there's like some fulfill like there's like some self-fulfilling prophecy in that like if a24 dumps this movie onto vod or some niche street like some obscure relatively obscure streaming service as of 2018 like who's gonna watch it and sort of it, it's not it, it's always both sides of it it's not just the studio it's not just the filmmaker but it's not that like it is that no one watched it. Now, does no one watch it because the movie sucks and it's like like really not appealing to a wide audience? Or is it because A24 dumped it? It's like probably both, right? Well, I, I was speaking more just to the idea of it being divisive. I don't I don't know that I think of that as like... I, I mean, that, it's, it's, it's postmodern I art in general is like divisive mm-hmm. insofar as it's like inaccessible, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hear what you're saying. I think among the people who saw it, it was divisive, mm -hmm. but um, yeah. I'm kind of taking away from what you're even talking about. So that I should probably just shut up, but also know. Mimi later in director jail, man, she did like 10 episodes of the leftovers. Yeah. It's maybe, not a real maybe, show. Maybe I, if I haven't seen it, it's not a real show. Maybe right. he's not quite jail yet, but you know, again, to, to use the earlier reference, I think he's on electronic monitoring, right? I think people are, sure. are keeping him, you know, keeping a close eye probably on what he is doing. And, and, you know, they're going to be very careful about the projects that he's allowed to. I mean, it's not like he was getting a big budget for anything anyway. It's, it's not like he was like some, it's not like he was in night Shyamalan, right? And no, he, he no, like no. Out of the studio system and no, but again, his own movies. again, it follows was, was a, you know, decent sized success. And, if he had had, uh, if he had followed that up with something that, you know, that you would have expected maybe from under this. I mean, he gets a, a big movie star to star in Under the Silver Lake, yeah, Andrew Garfield. And if if he had followed something, you know, followed that up, then he could have, you know, I think he could have been in that that range of a director who like, OK, they are, their next movie is going to be a big project. Well, I think, I think you, he's interested you know, in it's, it's one of those things where if you see it follow, I get what Scott's, Scott Harvey's saying though, in terms of like, you know, when you see those discussions where it's like people do their, you know, I don't like really care about random people's rankings of these things, but when people are like Jordan Peele and Robert Eggers yeah. and Yorgos Lanthimos and Ari Aster's films, put them all together. Like it's not really one of the names that are necessarily in those discussions or on that level. Obviously Peele is kind of different too, but um I think, like in theory, you would think he was on track to be, yeah, exactly, kind of a, exactly. a director. But I mean, it's just sort of like not, yeah. It follows me twenty million dollars. It's not like the thing, like blew, yeah. it's not, it's not a Blumhouse film that blew up, like you know, yeah. Get Out or anything like that. I mean, obviously the, the scale's different. What you're working with, and it's a good film, but it's, I mean, it's not like he received a huge, it's not like he received like Ari Aster, Bo is Afraid money for Under the Silver Lake, and he just blew it on a Vanity Project. No, um, that's true. It's like a very different vibe i i mean i i don't know how films get made i'm not gonna pretend like i do part of me just feels like so they get a he, camera he doesn't know what he wants to make or if what he wants to make is somehow even less accessible than mm -hmm. under the silver lake and no studio wants to fund it because under the silver lake it, it, it's this weird situation right where he didn't get the chance to show any meaningful box office performance as a follow-up to it follows but at some point, like that probably comes down to the fact that like either he doesn't know what he wants to make or doesn't have a clear picture for the things he wants to make or the studios don't want to work like he's very difficult to work with. It's like probably one of those two things, ultimately. And mm -hmm. being in director jail, like if you don't know what you want to make and you're difficult to work with, like that's going to get you in the doghouse pretty quickly, especially if your yeah. films not, aren't performing before that. I mean, yeah, like it's one of those funny things where once you almost like once you pass a certain threshold, though, it's like almost like those other factors become not important. Like once sure. you made a film that makes X amount of money or gets X amount of, um, yeah, he has made a film like that, or what have you. No, no, yeah. of course. That's what I'm saying. That's why it's interesting. Yeah. Cause I'm sure there are plenty of directors that honestly, you can describe them in the same ways. They just happen to make one movie that, you know, made a hundred million dollars or whatever. And that sort of mm -hmm. like insulates you in some way. Um, but I guess that's, you know, sometimes that's not always the case, which is why the concept of director jail is kind of interesting because, you know, there's people who make all types of different movies that get put in this place of like not making stuff. And again, like so much of it is like maybe they're working on a movie for two or three years and the thing just maybe falls they're apart working on a star film for five or six years and it gets canceled. I mean, yeah, there's plenty of people that are yeah. in that sort of realm where it's like you think yeah. 
damn, like they're just not getting any chances. And it's like, or they were trying to make something and it didn't work, you know, and that stuff is just not going to ever be that public, I guess, in the same way. And so it's kind of always, it's an interesting concept in theory, but it's hard to know when it's really being applied versus when it's just like, No, things def- just have not worked out. It definitely involves speculation on my part uh, yeah. again. But I mean, uh, I, I mean that's that's as a, most, as an as a concept. Most yeah. answers to the question are going to involve speculation. I think, well, unless it truly is somebody who, like like you said, like, I mean, John, John McTiernan. If we want to talk about yeah, director I mean, jail yeah. and literal jail, that right. is that is. <laughs> I mean, there's what there's Brian Singer, there's Joss Whedon. Like you can name people yeah. who are like actually in the like you know. Well, well, one. John McTiernan is just a legal matter. It's not sure. a. Oh, it's just a legal you know, matter. Yeah, it's just a legal matter. No, no Well, it's a different type of legal matter than the type of people that you are describing. I would uh, say. Sure, sure, um, sure. That's it fair. is not a it is not a you know philandering <laughs> sort of thing. Yes, um, that's that is very true. That is very true. But I think to like, keep it moving though, maybe to name another name because I was already I was sort of alluding to who I was going to bring up here, and it's sort of a similar situation where she'd only made she's really only made a few movies. But I think Patty is Patty Jenkins in Director Jail. What's going on? Like she made Wonder Woman. She. Followed it up with 1984, which is a god awful film, just terrible movie. Um, the, the fact that I double really, you're really that. advocating for her. You're really advocating for her. That, I mean, that's that's know. how it works, though. You make a bad movie and you, you get hit around a little bit. And then she, you know, she had a Star Wars movie. She had was it Rogue Squadron or something like that? She had like Rogue Squadron yeah. adaptation yeah. for Star Wars that fell apart. I mean, I don't really know if that's on her, you know, on her feet, Lucasfilm and. Mm-hmm. over there hasn't been able to get their ducks in a row to make a film since the end of you know 2019 when they released their last film did, did she have any films in between monster and wonder woman no, no. yeah no, then that's i mean I she mean, was that... she was certainly attached to things a lot of times that's um, a solid 12 years role right? at a certain point and like a whole bunch of stuff where it's like she was in the mix for it um but no i mean even now right it's like for the longest time her and Gal Gadot were like going to do a Cleopatra. That whole thing fell apart. The shine wore off very quickly of Wonder, and, of Wonder Woman. Uh, yeah, uh, after I mean, after I think the, the unfortunate. I think the unfortunate reality is a yes, was so was really bad. And but part of that for me, and this is where maybe I say maybe we should let her out of director jail is that Monsters is a great film. Wonder Woman's, in my opinion, a good film. The thing is, is that like Gal Gadot is is it can't act. Like she just can't act, and that that's not where I thought like, you were going with that at all, honestly. And that is like a serious issue for her. So I think like the sort of not revisionism because I don't I don't want to think that it's going revisionism there. But like my sort of like lack of interest in one even like the original Wonder Woman. Now even though I feel like it's a good movie, I'm just like I see I see Gal Gadot in this movie, and I'm like, what am I like this? I thought this was good at the time, but what I'm learning now is that like this is all you got. Like, you're not even acting. Like, that doesn't mean that got. it's not. That doesn't mean that it's not good. No, in no, no. I'm not saying it's not though. good. I'm saying the movie still is good. I just like don't enjoy yeah. it as much because of that. But doesn't that almost make it more impressive to you that that was accomplished sure. in spite of that? If sure. that's like, but that's what I'm saying. That's why I'm saying let let Patty out of jail. That's what I'm mm-hmm. saying. Get let her out. Let her cook. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the, the thing. Tough thing with Patty is it's, that's recent enough where it's like, yeah. Because the Star Wars thing fell apart, it's not like it's been ages and ages and ages with no yeah. traction. Um, and obviously, you have to think too about how the strike has sort of changed the calculus of the industry as well, and how sure. people are changing their approaches to spending. And how there was this period where it seemed like everyone was getting stuff greenlit, but then a lot of stuff ultimately didn't end up getting made, and now it's not ever going to get made. And so, directors and filmmakers and creators like spent this time working yeah. on stuff that 
they thought was like a you know there's a, a easy ticket for this to plus to come COVID, out and now COVID in general yeah, too but even 100%. before even before the strikes right was a big leader of that yeah because it disrupted the flow of everything right because movies are such like a sort of long timeline sort of task and so it's like a lot of times if you're in the middle of something or if you're part way down the track then all of a sudden you know one person who's integral to the thing has a scheduling issue and the whole thing could fall apart more quickly than you even realize you know what i mean it's sure. like your star all of a sudden can't make it because of this conflict with this other thing and then the project just doesn't happen and so that's what sucks a lot of times too is because you're relying i mean it's a cool because it's collaborative but you're relying on a lot of pieces to be in the right place when in the last you know four years so many things have been changing because of those kind of two big major events in addition to just the idea of how the landscape has changed with streaming and i think like for me someone who i would love to see get another chance to make something uh, is richard kelly um mm, richard yeah. kelly hasn't made a, hasn't made a movie since the box in the 2009. Box. <laughs> um you know directed donnie darko southland tales which is um you know one of the great sort of divisive slash reviled movies at the time um and as someone who like has always made provocative interesting films that um I just think there's like a real space for what he does. And you would think that Donnie Darko's legacy as sort of this, like, you know, indie early film school sort of movie would have stamped you with a certain, at least the inability to make stuff that's in the, you know, between the, you know, one and $10 million range and something like that. Right. Even if it's not something as big as Southland tales. Um, but he's just someone who hasn't made something in such a long time. And that's someone who I've really had a, a yearning and a desire to see come back to direct. But the tough thing is too, right? I mean, directing, I think on some level is kind of like a lot of other skills in that. I think if you don't do it for a long time, like I can imagine you could get pretty rusty at it, even mm -hmm. if you have talent and the way that things change and approaches change. And you, you know, people might not be oriented in a way that allows them to get what they want out of their collaborators. Now with people's processes change and, the approach of the industry and the structure of it. And so it's interesting to think of what that would look like. I mean, I think, you know, Francis Ford Coppola is a great example this coming year in terms of not having made something for a pretty decent amount of time and then coming back to make, I mean, in his case, something on a huge scale. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's always such a roll of the dice because you don't know what that's going to turn out to be because it's like, you don't have like, you know, it's different if filmmakers are, you know, are directing episodes of TV here and there every every few years and stuff, because at least they're still in the throes of it. But like when people really haven't made stuff in a long like what would a John Carpenter movie look like now? I don't I have no idea. And I don't think that's as much of a jail thing as much as he just doesn't necessarily have the same motivation to want to make something, at least within the confines of what he'd be allowed to now based on his last few movies. But um but yeah, Richard Kelly to me is 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 a really good example of someone that I think um you know, deserves like another shot and like all his movies are exceedingly interesting to me. And it's someone that uh, maybe it's a lack of desire to, to make more stuff. I, I don't, I can't, I would be surprised honestly, if that was the case, but um, he does have yeah, three, three movies in development that are listed on, uh, you know, yeah, IMDb, yeah. but I don't know. That's another thing too, where thing, I mean, that's sort of another peek behind the curtain thing too, is you don't really, especially people who are writers too, like the amount of time that people spend just writing stuff that never, ever sees the light of day is crazy. Like there are like, people who are fully employed screenwriters in the industry that nothing they have, and they've probably, they've even gotten stuff sold that nothing they've made has ever seen the light of day or ever gotten made. And so that's a funny aspect too of the business is that so many things are 
in theory in the process. And then only a certain amount of things even make it to, you know, the stage of actually getting shot and made. And now they might not even come out even if they do get made. So that's another yeah. another wrinkle to add to it too. I think it's a I think that's a good um good shout. I mean, because he's almost an interesting case, you know, thinking about David Robert Mitchell again, it's like he, you know, he has his uh he has Southland Tales, which is like his under the silver lake in a way. Then he gets another chance to do the box and it also bombs. Um, and so I, now, you know, he's, he's kind of out in the wilderness and yeah, I, I haven't followed him closely enough to know if there's been other stuff. I mean, happened. the thing with the, the box didn't, it, the box is not like a box office catastrophe. Like the movie, you know, I don't think it, it barely made over its production budget. So it, I'm not saying it made them a ton of money, but it's not like some huge yeah. financial colossal failure. Um, it just, you know, maybe it sapped the interest from, you know, the rest of his career moving forward and, and what have you. But that's just someone that, that at least comes to mind for me as someone I'd really love to see direct something again. And Southland Tales, like, especially nowadays, seems to be one of those, like, movies that is really getting reassessed. And, you know, a lot of people saying, oh, no, actually, this was brilliant. So maybe eventually that will lead to him getting memed into being able to make another movie or something. But um, I would definitely like to see it because I am a big Donnie Darko fan. Well, what's what sucked is that, you know, this, the thing with him happened is, is he had another film after the box that was supposed to get made. And then, you know, financing felt through. I think there was like something Eli Roth mm -hmm. was producing. And then he was supposed to make another, like, um, I think it was like a thriller with James Gandolfini and then James Gandolfini passed away. And then it feels like after a while, it's like, when you don't have the heat from your last thing, when it's been a few years, people don't have the same motivation to, yeah. um, to get you back in the mix kind of. So any other thoughts on, on director jail or should we, should we move on? Scott, did you want to say anything about Patty Jenkins? Uh, no, I mean, I, I think you guys pretty much covered it. Maybe too soon to tell. Um, you know, I, I would be interested obviously to see her try something outside the franchise realm again. If, if that's something that she's even interested in doing. Um, I would assume that it is. I mean, at this point, she's but, sort of been booted from the from the DCEU that doesn't even exist anymore. Which isn't a thing. Uh, yeah, but, and also from Star Wars. So it seems like yeah. she's probably going to have to go elsewhere. Yeah, which uh, I'm I'm okay with. I mean, uh, what? yeah, she did, it was unfortunate. Wonder Woman 1984 was just like, it was bad. It was, you know, and, and it was came out at a time when like everyone watched it kind of because there was like yeah. two day, movies. Day and date on yeah, HBO so. Max at the time. Christmas Eve, right? Or something like that? Christmas, yeah, Eve or day. I don't know which it was. I watched it back to back with Soul. Luckily, I watched that first and then Soul second. But um, I, I know there's well, and, and, th and this is Soul not a podcast. Well, this and this is not even a can of worms I even want to get into either. But it, there's also the idea that once you make a successful film of a certain budget level and on a certain scale, it's almost you also have the pressure to stay in that same range or even go above yeah. it, especially yeah. if you're someone who's a you know racial or gender minority in terms of the filmmaking space where it's like if you're a woman who can make a movie that big it's almost like you have this inherent pressure from you know even from your union honestly too but also from other female filmmakers who are like you know you're studio. one of the only people who can actually get this shit made too so it's like we want you to like there there are not that many opportunities of these to go around i guess in theory and so there's that extra added pressure, but that's that's a whole other topic, to, you know. And that's why Greta's making two hundred million dollar Narnia movies for Netflix now. You know, well, Ka you wonder if Catherine Bigelow's in a similar situation too, uh, with you know having made The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty, and then you know, I mean, she had Detroit, I guess, but you know, she hasn't really been able to. 
<laughs> what do you, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, Detroit was a decently successful-ish movie. I mean, that's like one of those things that it certainly doesn't seem like that was enough of a disaster to put but it could, I mean, that was more of a disaster than, than the box was. It and definitely... it, could, it couldn't follow the two movies mm-hmm. that came before it, I guess is my, my point. Like, she, she wasn't able to continue producing on the level of The Hurt Locker and Zero Dark Thirty and being a female director like it seems to have had an especially deleterious effect on her yeah and like that's yeah that's just an opportunity thing too you know certain people get more opportunities than others and unfortunately that's how the industry shakes out sometimes which obviously is is terrible but yeah Catherine bigelow is also someone else i was thinking about with patty jenkins it's like i think the the comment you're making paul around the the size and the scale of it it, it makes a lot of sense like it's almost like fortunate some of our like biggest and best filmmakers are people whose like vision for like what they want to make is so large scale that it's like they have this passion to make these movies that need 200 million dollars or 100 million dollars to be made right and at the same time there are other filmmakers that and not to get too in the weeds but like that i just have heard have such an interest in continuing to make a type of movie that they've tried and failed to when it's like, you're so good at making this other type of movie. And so that's also a weird space that I think some people find themselves in is that sure. Sometimes the thing you want to make is not always the thing that you're good at, but you know, it's your art, you know, it's not like it's up to me to make, to force you to make things a certain way. Um, sure. I mean, that's the whole notion of challenging yourself and what you're doing, right? Like yeah. not playing it safe. Yeah, David O. Russell wants to continue making movies, and he's just not good at doing that, so he should stop. Wow. And th- that name <laughs> felt too much like low-hanging fruit to talk about. Listen, um, all I'll say is this podcast did cover his last film, and that was a decision that you made and agreed to, and uh, you have to live with that. We'll always have Amsterdam. <laughs> yeah, we sure, we sure will. <laughs> Moving on to the second topic, uh, I think shifting gears a little bit, but saying in a similar space, we're talking about like IP and large franchises and directors who get stuck in that loop related to that notion. I, I sort of was thinking about this a lot recently in the context of lots of news over the last year, year and a half related to IP that is getting refreshed or rebooted, not necessarily legacy sequels, but spinoffs or things like that. And I'm thinking specifically with Harry Potter and with Lord of the Rings, although I think there's other examples with these IP that I think are widely considered to be really strong films on in their own right. They're sort of iconic, whether you believe that their critical quality is not really a matter of question, but is generally well, well received when you're thinking about remaking something like Harry Potter or remaking something like Lord of the Rings, just setting aside sort of like the, the, question of whether it's like creatively bankrupt to even do that just setting that aside just accepting that we have a world in which ip is going to be recycled and rebooted over time like what should me as like someone who loves harry potter who loves lord of the rings who loves xyz franchise like what should my expectations for that be like how do i approach having to walk into a movie theater or turning on a streaming service because that's like something that i I feel like i really i've really started to like struggle with and want to be reasonable like it's it'd be really easy for me to be like this is a disaster i'm never going to watch this thing like that is a possible answer to that question i don't that's fine i totally get that i may end up doing something like that i don't know it doesn't feel very interesting to just say that personally because it seems like weird to just sort of ignore this big cultural thing 
And I, that's something I constantly struggle with. I feel like with large wide releases that I skip. And it, is there a way for me to experience that, that new updated version without the full weight of the previous iterations sort of like on my mind? And I say full weight because it's going to be impossible to completely separate those things, of course. But like when I go watch the remake of, you know, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring, like what, like how should I approach that? Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm really struggling with that question. And I'm curious what you guys, what you guys think. Well, I think you came to the right person at the right time in a sense, because, you know, I, the, the hottest in some because way, Madam Web, hottest, you just watched Madam Web and you had to, you had, you know, well, you her web does connect that. us all. Um, oh, I know. Yeah. No, but the hot, the hottest, maybe not the hot, but arguably the hottest ticket in IP now is making live action adaptations of, of sure. existing anime series. Yeah. And so that's become a thing that has really plagued my day-to-day life and my streaming services, quite frankly. Um, starting and, starting with what, Cowboy Bebop? Or or like what, what's like the origin point of this? Uh, I think Death Note is kind of this, because like Death Note in 2017 is more or less the beginning of that. But... Which is um, widely reviled, correct? I mean, so I think Cowboy honestly, Bebop. at this point, it's sort of like it's pretty bad. Um, I don't know. It, I mean, Death Note, the series, that this is also not something that I hold super close to me, so I'm not as precious about that necessarily. Um, but it's it's weird because when you have these very good versions of this thing that exists already, yeah it really does get to a point of like, what's the point, especially if you're remaking it. And it's like, from a business perspective, obviously I understand the desire to make these things in live action, but, or, you know, or just make other versions of this thing, like new versions. It's kind of, um, it's kind of not totally the same thing, but it's almost kind of the issue that I had a little bit with Mean Girls, the musical, because it's like trying to split the atom of like being Sure. Still the same thing, but also yeah. being a slightly new version of the thing. And obviously that has even a slightly better quote unquote reason to exist because it has the mechanic of being a musical and the fact that it was on Broadway and everything. But I it, I just really struggle with caring about a lot of those things, especially if the whole idea is trying to tell the same story beat for beat. And it's like on some level, you just kind of have to accept that it's almost not for you. I wonder if that's just how we have to go about it, where it's like, I watched the Percy Jackson show on Disney plus and I think it's pretty good. And they're trying so hard to recreate this thing, but, and it, you just know that the best version of even of that thing is probably just going to be, you know, a bit of a pale imitation or in the shadow of the original thing. And I think when there are not, there's not an attempt to make things different in a structure or story or character way. Um, it's just, I think it becomes hard for people to gauge them fairly because, you know, the people that are coming into it new, they might be like, Oh, this is awesome or great. Um, and in theory, it's, it sounds cool because it maybe would drive you to watch the thing, the original thing, but I don't know that that's the case. I really think a lot of times people are like, this is enough for me. This is my version of this thing. And I don't. And so it almost like in some ways swallows whole the, the existing already good version. Cause for the longest time, that's, that would always be my argument about, remakes i'm like the original movie or show or whatever still exists it's still there it's not disappearing but i think it's one of those things where when there is a new version that seems to be the one prioritized by these services and i think oftentimes that's the thing that people will go to first because it's 
familiar and easy, especially in the age of streaming TV where it's like, why would I watch this whole thing when I can just watch a 10 episode Netflix version of it that looks, looks and feels and sounds like a lot of other stuff that I've seen. Well, the problem was with Avatar, the, 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 the live action remake is that it's longer than the actual animated show, like the 10 episodes or whatever time-wise yeah. are longer than the first season of the yeah. animated show, which is ironic. Yeah. I, maybe it makes I, more sense for like Cowboy Bebop or something like that. But I mean, I'm sure you guys know the books better than I do, but like, you know, I, I think it, when you're applying this to Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings specifically, I'm not sure how you can have high expectations because I think that everyone kind of generally considers that those properties, that the, the adaptations already out there are kind of like the the best adaptation that you could make of the source material, right? Like, I don't, certainly in the case of Lord of the Rings. I think Lord of the Rings much yeah, more yeah, so yeah, even Harry than Potter Harry Potter. Potter. Even though Harry Potter is very well loved, I think there are still a lot of people that see it as... Well, like, they just candidly, they just left a lot of things out. Because especially yeah, some of the sure. middle books, they're so long, like huge subplots in the film are, are sort of just dropped or, or left as lightly referenced as like background material in the film no i mean so so you know i guess if you look at it as anything look at it as an opportunity to you know see these parts of the story adapted that have never yeah. been adapted before um whether that will ultimately create a more satisfying product uh, i i don't know yeah. I, I certainly have my doubts um I think it's really tough because I think to this exact point that you're making, like the the justification is not the right word, but like the justification in my mind of doing something like Harry Potter, right, is that they're going to make a season for each book, presumably each year. Yeah, and that's, that's going to be so that's going to take so long. Those kids are going to age so fast or they have to make shit really quickly. Yeah. Golden Nature TV is back. We just we got a seven season, eight season show or whatever. <laughs> yeah, but I I just think that I mean, look, we'll see if it actually come comes through, right? Like whether this thing gets canceled, like Fantastic Beasts. Like no, don't worry. The fourth Fantastic Beasts movie is coming at some point. Yeah, sure. We're um, still trying to figure out where to find them. Yeah, <laughs> whose secrets will it be this time? Is it Dumbledore or is it is it Grindelwald? Who knows. Um, but look, I, I think that with the Harry Potter to this point that you're making, like the thing it is to me, like if there's something that I can latch onto that is like a reason that this thing is different than the original property or that it serves some purpose, it's an anomaly beyond it's like, it, it just, it seems any different. Like with the mean girls, right? Like with the mean girls thing, like, I didn't go see it. It didn't seem like it, I would be interested in it or, or enjoy it or for me, but like for the musical aspect of it, like. I'm not saying it yeah. justifies its existence, but it gives you a reason yeah. to like go and experience this thing that you're familiar with yeah. in a new way. And I think that with Harry Potter, I don't think it's a good idea. I'll be very clear. I'm not thrilled about it. Are you about to suggest a musical Harry Potter? Because that would be unbelievable. <laughs> no, no, that already exists. You can watch that on YouTube. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but I think that the the thing that could work is that they're going to like, in theory, actually include everything, like all of the material from the books. And that means you're going to have some shorter seasons. And you're going to have some longer seasons if they do that, or hopefully they don't create new stuff. I mean, God help us if JK Rowling's like cooking up new stuff and like revising her, <laughs> her books. Don't let her cook guys. Get her out of the kitchen. Keep the whole first out. season is set uh, before, before. The yeah. Four show. episodes at the, Dur the Dursley's house in the first season. Uh, yeah. Well, that's, it's that, so that, over. We joke, but I, I think that's another point to make here is like, 
it doesn't just take some of the art out of like adaptation, right? If it's just like, oh, now we can make it a TV series and we can just put everything in there, right? We don't have to like make these editorial. I, I don't know. I just dis- I disagree. I disagree. I, and th- I'm only thinking about this in this in this lens because I just walked out of Dune Part Two, and oh wow, you hated it that much. That's they, crazy. I it wasn't know. even over. He's you should have heard what I said. <laughs> yeah, I just walked out of it straight through. You know, I saw, I saw, Not I saw, I saw Jessica drink the water of life, and I'm like, these guys suck. I'm out of here. <laughs> um. Anyway, I, I, but I walk out of the movie, and we're gonna talk about this next week on the podcast when we actually cover Dune Part Two. But one of the things that's so striking to me, and my uh, sort of initial feelings about it, is that this sort of like completely justifies itself as an adaptation separate from the book, not only because it's like it works and it's super watchable and that thing that, you know, the unadaptability of Dune as a novel, et cetera, et cetera. And there's just like so many choices made, right. To make it more, to make this thing more watchable or or watchable at all. If you ask certain people and that led to like very material differences in, in the film from the novel. And to, to some people, that's not going to matter because they're not familiar with the novel. But for someone who is, and I think this then applies to things like Harry Potter, like Lord of the Rings, which are also novels. But if we're talking about adapting, you know, readapting movies or, or, or whatnot, like, are you doing something different? And I think that maybe turning something from a movie into a series, if it's just that, to your point, Scott, sure, maybe, maybe there is some lack of creativity. But I do think that there's like there were choices made by I don't even remember who wrote the original. I know Chris Columbus directed them, but like there were choices made to adapt those films, right? Early on, and and that alighted a lot of the material out. I don't think that it's like creatively lost to say, okay, what if we made a version of this where we were able to keep everything in? How do we make the, how do we make that work? Like it works on the page, but how do we get that to work on the screen? I think that's like one of the real accomplishments of like what Villeneuve has done with Dune the two Dune movies that he's made is that he's made, he's like made this huge leap where he's and been given the bandwidth to make this really like essentially this really long five hour plus film, um, which is basically the length of a TV show these days. Like we just, you know, true detective just finished with like six episodes this last season. And like, I don't think it was like, is there a version of that where he just included everything from the novel and threw it in? Right. I think that it's more complicated than that. So I I think that, it doesn't have to be creatively lost. If mm. it's like super bland where they're just taking the, the words off the page, like that's just going to bear out in the quality of the, of the adaptation itself. It doesn't have to be like that. Well, I, it's tough for me because one of the things I love about movie worlds is I love the implications and the unsaid. And I think some of yeah. the, the details around something that make it feel rich that are not directly addressed. Cause I think when you make everything textual and everything forefronted, I think it's just inherently less interesting and it makes. And so I think sometimes, I mean, John Wick is to, such an amazing example of that. I feel like. And sometimes if you're trying to make the adaptation, so like include every single aspect of a thing, I think you lose that a little bit. Sure. And so it's hard. It's also just one of those things where, you know, you're not going to have read all these, every single thing that's being adapted. And so it's hard to get a real sense of, what is and isn't and does and doesn't include certain aspects of things that would make it different, um, that would make an adaptation, you know, more true to the source material slash like accurate, whatever, however you want to phrase it. And so I think in the cases of things that are so big, it's hard because those have this real, 
like the bigger something is almost it's it you're you're asked to make something that's closer to the material because you're going to have more people who are going to be upset if things are Group different or change because yeah. there's tons of books and series and things that are adapted that yeah. are no one's so saying different. this about how to blow up a pipeline be like why didn't they stick to the manifesto a little bit better you know i did see that criticism at times but um <laughs> I, I think that it's an interesting line to walk when you're on this massive scale because there is this expectation and desire for things to be so close. And that's why that's a, such a funny thing to address specifically with the, like the last airbender fandom, because people want every single moment and thing to be included or adapted. Yeah. But at the same time, if they include everything, it's like, this is not as good as this as it should be. And so there's always this line to walk of like, how many of those big moments from a previous existing thing do you want to actually have, detail by detail or how many things do you want to sort of leave a little vague so you don't have the pressure of sort of living up to think, people's yeah. imaginations which is like an impossible thing to really do because obviously well, the answer for that you know, is that you just include what you want to include and then you delete your twitter accounts <laughs> you don't have to read, <laughs> well, read people tweeting sure, at you sure, 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 <laughs> sure. but i mean in terms of making the the properties because I, th I do think the companies more and more than ever take into account fan response and sure. the way that fans yeah, it's, process it's the, things because yeah. it's a really fan-driven media culture that we live in, especially in film well, and well, TV, the whole especially in these like, the big adaptation is to serve the fans. Like that's the whole point yeah. of what they're doing too. Scott, what were you yeah. gonna say? Well, I was gonna say not to open the can of worms, but it feels I, I was I was thinking of the similar point there that you know, in a post-last Jedi world, especially, right? Like I think there's a a specific focus on we need to just not piss anyone off right yeah, that works so well for them and the yeah um, but I, I i do think there that lends a lot of credence to what paul is saying maybe they're the yeah. the struggle of okay we're going to make a tv show so that we can include everyone or everything and look so that I, I don't feel mad. bad for like the people running amazon studios that no. it's hard to make their lord of the rings show but like in terms of the way that we perceive things versus how they are made that, and that's how also what makes spinoffs like know. easier though it's like no one watched okay i mean people did watch it this way but like but like no serious person is like sitting down to watch the amazon lord of the ring show and be like this is going to be the new fellowship of the ring here we go like right like what? like this is but that's, this is but, I mean, that's probably how they did it to their investors though right it's like this sure, is obviously sure. going to be the, this new you know every everyone chasing the new game of thrones for like six years you know what i mean like sure. that's like this unending thing Right, right. But I mean, this almost goes back to the original question of like, how should we approach those things? Like for me, in my mind, like a spinoff, like it makes a lot of sense, right? Like how you approach a spinoff. It's like, this is not yeah. the thing. Like this isn't it, right? Like you don't have to. Or if you're like, adapting like a light novel or something that is like very sparse in detail and you can add yeah. and bring so many new things and different things that are not defined by how people already imagine them to be or have sure. read or perceived or or listened you know and so it's just i i i i'm glad that that's not something that i traffic in making stuff on that sort of scale because i think that's it's just hard to to try to serve you know those people who are who are fans of the ideas of properties and stuff and then to make something interesting at the same time it's it's tough to do because when you make when you diverge sometimes people freak the fuck out and then you know things are not received as well scott no. what's an example of this for you recently like for me is is there one where you've had like you've been bit by some like readaptation? Um, 
No, I mean, is it like conversations with friends? You're like, they didn't <laughs> include this one scene. I don't know. No, because I don't even, I haven't even read that novel, but that novel is a really tough read. I did not love that novel, but yeah, no, I, I don't know that I can think of like an example where it went badly, I guess. I mean, you know, to, to stay in the same realm of like something like that, we did just have like Daisy Jones and the six was turned into a series, but I felt that that, you know, they, they did a credible job with that. And I just mean more like readaptations, though, right? Right? Like it's not. Yeah, that wasn't being adapted from an you know an already existing movie or TV show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I was going to bring up. This is not a bad example. Obviously, I was going to bring up the example of Dune being like, you know, here sure. we we had the the original film, right? We had yeah. David Lynch's version, uh, which David which, Lynch does not like anyone talking about. I think. Yeah, um, it's and, it's funny because when that happens. I think sometimes people try to frame things as being like a remake of this other movie where it's like, no, it's just another stab at this original right. idea. Yeah, when it's bad, so, when, when, when the first try is bad, they're just like, oh, this is, this is, this is yeah. the good version. And, and right. that goes back yeah. to what I was saying in the beginning of like, I think most people generally agree that the first try was very, very good with yeah. respect to Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. Sure. So, yeah, it, it's it's well, Lord of the Rings. It's, it's funny too because they did have an animated series of movies that yeah. just was not on a big enough scale for people to really care that much. It was like people who were really obsessed with the series have seen yeah. those things. But you know, those Ralph Bakshi movies from the seventies, late seventies, early eighties. It's not like people are like, oh man, fucking Peter Jackson. Oh, I wonder if he's going to measure up to you know nineteen seventy eight's Lord of the Rings. Hopes he's ready to you know. I mean, that's kind of the movie. that's kind of about the like what Batman. I mean, the Batman film was in, in like the late eighties, early nineties, mm -hmm. right? Like they had. If anything, the, it was buoyed by the fact that people wanted something different from the silly, goofy thing, and so it almost yeah. had extra points just for being different from this thing that people think of as bad. And then which you, you would think would have would have it in a way you would have thought that would have been the case with the live action Last Airbender show because it's like oh there's a movie already that people really hate and like the fact that now people are like wait is this one worse than the m night Shyamalan movie it's hilarious and honestly not that off base unfortunately from what i've seen of the show scott you want to talk about the dark knight let's talk about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i, I don't think we've devoted enough podcast to time in the past to talking about the dark knight we only had what a two-hour episode on it i think so I mean, at least surely we went longer than that on that episode. Surely I, I forced us all to go longer on the dark night than that. Uh, look, everyone's asking the question is Austin Butler, the new Heath Ledger, you know, that's, a, <laughs> that's the question everyone's asking. No, right no, now. no. Wait a minute. We don't, we're not talking about a fourth topic. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is Paul's topic. I told him what to do. Before, yeah, yeah. Before the show yeah. All right, I Paul, just, so I I just put two actors in a random generator and I was like, is this person the next? But I, it's funny because I guess my topic is sort of branching off of this a little bit, kind of related to the last two. Um, but no, I wanted to center things around. Uh, we'll use the recent comments that that Denis Villeneuve made um, in the interview uh, that he had with with Jonathan Dean um, over at the London Times uh, or Times of London. I, don't, I think I think it's Times of London actually, where he talked about the idea of television and like dialogue centric entertainment sort of leaking its way into movies. And look, I think he put it in a very inelegant way that frankly, it's one of those things where it's like, 
what he's saying English is kind of stupid, but the cent- like the cent- the central idea of it, I think I really agree with this idea that I think like my thing is I feel like we take, this is going to sound so stupid. We take the way movies look for granted sometimes. And I was having a conversation about this only a couple days ago, actually, where um, a buddy of mine had recently seen Avatar The Way of Water for the first time. And like Avatar The Way of Water and Avatar, the original 2009 Avatar, they're great examples of like when people talk about them, they really like yada yada. They're like, oh yeah, it looks amazing. But then also this other stuff with it. And I think on some level, we have gotten a little away from just the majesty of some of the shit that we can see on a big giant screen and some of the things we can recreate or create whole cloth. And I think that that's an aspect of movies that weirdly it seems like has become devalued over time. I think a big part of it obviously is the fact that so many people are watching these at home on laptops, phones, tablets, which is fine, obviously, but like even a smaller screen at home, like the TV, I mean, as much as I love my TV screen and I watch many movies on it, it's not the same as going to the theater and seeing these films on, you know, in a, in a movie theater. It's just not the same. And, and I think that visual aspect and, and that part of it gets lost too, because you have streaming services where movies and TV are homogenized. They're the same thing. They're in the same place. And a lot of times we're watching them on the same screens. And so I think some of that, you know, some of the visual splendor gets lost in translation there. But also I think we come to think of these things as sort of being in the same box when I think that's not necessarily how I always want it to be. And I think that with the way that sometimes these things are delivered to us. I wonder if um, we're not giving enough credence, attention, credit um, to things that look really good. And it's one thing if you're watching it on some old shitty boxy TV or whatever, and you, you won't be able to tell the difference, but like, especially with technology now, a lot of people have the ability to see things in good ideal formats, you know, like really, you know, 4k TVs are like not are pretty affordable, relatively speaking, I think compared to, you know, what they were a few years ago where, you know, stuff like 3d TVs are costing three, four grand or something like that. And I think that in general, I wonder if the way that we view movies as a medium, right. Is if we're flattening things to be like, to be like TV and like, I like a lot of TV. Yeah. And I like a lot of TV too, but like, it's a miracle for a TV show to look as good as, you know, what you should, what what at least a mid to high budget movie should look like. And so that, I guess I just wondered what you guys thought of that whole idea, this idea of like things being about dialogue, like dialogue only and story and, everyone is going to have different sensibilities. So some people are just going to gravitate to certain types of storytelling, but with movies specifically, I just, I don't know. I think I, I would love for more credit and attention to be given to, to things that actually look amazing and like take you to a different place and don't aren't shot against a green wall or on the volume and things that go places to shoot stuff. And like, that's, that's the kind of thing I, I, I don't know. I, I wonder if, we're getting away from that a little bit. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think this all is just tied into sort of the death devaluing, whatever you want to call it, of the theatrical experience just in general, right? Because 
um, you know, what you're what you're talking about is people maybe making these trade-offs. I mean, it's all trade-offs in the end, but making these trade-offs of like, no, I prefer prefer the convenience of watching something at home um, as, you know, to going out to the theater, which is more inconvenient for me, which is pr- pr- probably more expensive for me. And yes, maybe you get this visual experience out of it, right? That you're not going to get at home. But ultimately, when I am, you know, balancing everything on the scale, that is just not as important to me as being able to, you know, cook dinner in the background while this is playing is, is in today's day and age. Now that you have those choices that can be made, right? Like this, is it's, it's a new frontier in that way because like I was saying, we have those choices that, that can be made. And, you know, again, even the movies that people are going out to the theaters to see, well, until like the last year or two, the, the Marvel movies and stuff like that, it's, these are some of the worst looking movies out there to your point. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they cost a lot of money, but they look terrible and people, you know, didn't really seem to care. I mean, I guess maybe there's an interesting conversation here about whether the, the decline of the uh, of Marvel, like in the last year or so, has anything to do with with that factor? I, I kind of would say no, but um, no, but, I don't. The, I, I don't think so. But if there is something interesting too about. I do think that actually, in terms of the theatrical experience component, I think people in the last two or so years have actually gravitated more towards going back to theaters than it, than it was, you know, right out of lockdown. I feel like with stuff like Barbie and Oppenheimer, it just seems like there is more of an enthusiasm when there's something that picks up steam and is deemed worth going out to see. Yeah. But even, you know, even, even Barbenheimer, it has to be, you know, styled as this big sort of social event, right? This big sort of Mm -hmm. thing, like you are going to leave your houses because everybody is going to be doing this. Right. And if you're, if you, if you don't do this, you're going to be missing out. And I mean, that's just how movies were in general at a particular time, right? Like, you know, any sort of big movie that came out before we had the, the choices, like I said, the trade-offs to make that, that was just how movies were. And now, you know, it's difficult for something that isn't stylized as this big event to actually get people out to the theaters. And, you know, that's, that's, again, I think that's tied into what you're saying, because, um, you know, at at the end of the day, the visual component is not important enough to people to, you know, where they're, they're going to go out to the, the movies to get that experience. And therefore, there's no incentive for, you know, uh, studios to make something into a, a movie that isn't going to make any money, whereas they can have probably a lot more success and viewership by making it 10 episodes or whatnot. Yeah. And that's also a thing too, where you're sort of seeing with the streaming services, it's like how, how fruitful is that stuff really financially? Like how much does that actually help? And it's like, I think when you see the shrinking of that, plus I think some of the, you know, some of the returns on some of the, stuff box office wise recently where it's like does it make sense to turn this thing into a miniseries or tv show instead of a a movie it might not pillars of the flower moon right would that have been more successful as a a miniseries i just think it depends on what you mean by success right like you start throwing words like success and sure you know like 
no it, just purely on like directly attributable revenue no yeah. like no movie is more successful if it skips the box office you know what i mean like it's it, it just like it, it depends on what you measure if your measure of success is viewership then like everyone should just put their movie on netflix so that's how you're gonna get the most views like 100 percent. like no nowhere will get you more views than if it's the film is just on netflix and so i think the idea of like a, a film becoming relevant also thank you paul by the way for bringing up avatar the way of water we've talked about dark knight we've talked about avatar the way of water i'm really feeling at home here in this new show format but i i do think that this notion of blending and this notion of of like who is our audience is not that studios never thought about that before, but and I think this even goes back to something you were saying earlier, Scott, about, about sort of chasing your audience is that like, it feels like so much of entertainment and I'm not even sure that this is wrong, but like so much of the, of the like studio perspective is like, how do we get people to come watch yeah. this movie? And that makes a lot of sense, right? Like you need people to cut, to be interested and want to go watch your movie. It feels like that's different than like 15, 10, 15, 20 years ago, where I felt like a lot of movies were made because studios trusted that like the audience would want to watch something that they, like that this creator made. And you still see pockets of that. I think that's what Barbenheimer kind of is. Maybe not Barbie, but like Oppenheimer, like people did not go see Oppenheimer because like in in masses because they're because like the studio made a bet that like people would be interested in like a nuclear physicist you know, you know what i mean like they made a bet on like a creator who ginned up like a lot of activity and like a core audience and then scaled that movie outside of that with a bunch of different techniques right like that like that approach feels very different than you know how are we going to make you know this vampire like out of this van like how are we going to do uh whatever the vampire movie with nicholas holt last voyage of the Cage. No, no, no oh we're talking about renfield exactly it's, it's like the, the the approach to like ip execution feels like so different and and that's like a separate thing right like this idea of like we're going to make ip versus like we're going to try to do something original and again like i think that there's merits to both i'm not even saying one's like better or worse than the other it's just a different approach. And I think that like this whole topic here is like built into this notion that studios are just feeling a lot of pressure from probably both sides, right? From like their executive ownership and the market because of social media to service fans more than trusting that the fans will enjoy the films that they're making. It's not all one or all the other, but I think it's like a stronger shift towards we need to make something that like people... 20 minutes in are not going to like exit out of on Netflix because they're lost and are bored and don't know what's going on now. Like, obviously that's like a hyperbolic example. I mean, that does happen, I think, but like that's a hyperbolic example. And, and it's just like that sort of like approach to filmmaking or to producing content is like, that is more like TV deck to your original point, Paul. Well, and with the, I think part of the issue too, that's become a, a, a problem with VC's impact, I think on the industry is there's so many more, I think, short-term chasing of trends and ideas, and they see what they think is popular and just dive straight after that and try to recreate a phenomenon. A lot sure. of times that's kind of impossible. And it's this is kind of a thing that James Grace talked about is also like there's not this idea of creating a habit of going to the movies and making that a part of someone's routine and making that like an activity that people like and providing options and different 
it's like it seems it's like well people seem seemingly only go to the theater to watch horror or big fantasy sci-fi action so that's kind of the only stuff that we'll make and so i think sometimes too it's a little bit about not creating a landscape that's wide enough to serve different different not just demographics but different moods and interests because I feel like there's this idea that, oh, these this type of person likes this thing. But I think most people that you talk to that enjoy watching movies like watching different kinds of things. And so there's not it doesn't seem like there's as many options in terms of that. Um, and it sort of is boom or bust in terms of what the hot genres or subgenres or types of movies are, right? It's this like funny di- like demographic thing in my mind where the majority of the audience is still like older people, right? Like mm-hmm. we'll say like older than 40 year olds. Yeah. But I feel like so much of like the demo targeting for so all made many for movies, kids. Everything is just made for kids. Yeah. It's like, how do we get the 24 year old into the theater? Mm-hmm. I feel like that's the question. Like, cause it, cause like, oh, they're so hard to reach. Right. But I feel like the, like TikTok. the execution of that is like creating genre. Right. But like the, yeah. Whether we like it or not, like genre movies, generally speaking, less appealing to the actual large group of, of people who are like left who are going to ultimately be supporting your budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what makes it sort of I, I just think is that makes comic movies like kind of a fun, like a such a crazy phenomenon is that is that it managed to able it managed to be able to tap into a, like a large reserve of that older demographic mm-hmm. um, and, and make hundreds of millions and billions of dollars in some case in some cases, but like that's how you make a billion dollars is that you're able to tap into both sides of that age. I think the billion dollar thing also is just that they tap into an audience that will see things two, three, four, five, six more times. And I think that's part of the reason too, now that people think things are going to perform certain ways and they don't is like certain types of movies don't necessarily foster that kind of rabid fandom and, and return to the, to the theaters. But I don't know. It's it's a weird landscape, I think, in terms of what. Because yeah. it, it's it's a clear inflection point, right? In terms of, I think superhero movies are at a sort of a bit of a crossroads where they have to make some sort of decision about how, if they want to, how, how they want to attempt to recapture the type of audience they once had and if that's even possible and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but like, it seems like too that when there are movies that are made that are, again, are have this kind of level of grandeur that are not, all the exact same type of thing. People seem to respond to them. I feel like, especially when they're good. Avatar: The Way of Water. Part. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, that's the sort of thing about like no cultural relevance. Avatar over here is that James yeah. Cameron puts another one out. You know, thirteen years. Well, in. cultural relevance doesn't. You know, that doesn't pay for the box office receipts a lot of times. People, you know, great a movie. It's talked about well, a lot on the internet. That's cool. Saltburn got a lot of people talking. It's like, did it make that much money? Well, it, it didn't to, have it didn't have a wide theatrical release. Like, no, no, no. Sure, water sure, did, sure, but sure, sure. Yeah, I, I do hear what you're saying though, Scott. Go bullet, ahead. Bullet Train. How much movie did that? How much money did that movie? How make? much but movie that did movie, that money make? That yeah. that that uh, <laughs> that movie just doesn't exist. Like you know, again, cultural relevance isn't isn't everything. I don't think that's true at all. I think that's a real bubble thing. I think like that's a, that's that's a peak coworker movie. Like, <laughs> okay, that's a real that's like your coworker fair. is like watching it on his phone. And it's like, but they all, dude, but they like, all watched it on Netflix. Sick. though. that's the thing. Yeah. I mean, no, no, like no joke. Like they, just, they all watched it on Netflix. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it made like two hundred fifty million, I think, at the box office, which is not. Well, yeah, that, crazy that was why I used it as an example. As like, yeah, this movie, you know, 
Made well, it's like, I mean, there's some that we can get so deep down other rabbit holes too, but there's also something to be said about the way that certain things, I mean, it's when st things are just given a lot of promotion space and time, you know, things like suits can happen, you know, it's just funny how sometimes the, um, sometimes it's just about how much a sub streamer or a company believes in the thing that they're putting out. It's almost like the under the silver lake thing, right? It's like, maybe it would have been different if they just threw their weight behind it. Yeah. Hard to say. If they just said that Andrew Garfield was Spider-Man by the end of the movie, you know, if they just made him Spider-Man again by the end of the movie, maybe it would have gone better. But then how would they have marketed that? You know, it's, it's in the trailer. It's like him with the Spider-Man outfit. It's like, what's... He's, what's yeah, at the end of the trailer, it's just a, a, a like a couple frames of him pulling the mask down or whatever. I mean, he's playing a video game. Like, is it, he's like, I want to hold like Legend of Zelda. Like, side well, he looks, at the mag he looks at the yeah. magazine. Yeah, he looks at the Nintendo, the Nintendo Power, Power magazine. magazine yeah. yeah. They were like basically there almost, you know. <laughs> Just throw it in. He's running around. He's running around very like strangely in some scenes. Like maybe if you just CGI a Spider-Man suit on him <laughs> in those moments, like that, he would. If it they, would look, if they like, what, what country is it? Saudi Arabia did did like the black the black box over Florence Pugh and Oppenheimer, and they're like, yeah, release or whatever. If they if they Spider-Man suit him, uh, that's. We should have had that technology back then. That's such a bummer, yeah. guys. I I googled under the silver lake just to refresh my memory on some of the cat the the deep castness. Do you know Sydney Sweeney is under the, under the silver lake? I did. Yeah, she plays one of the neighbors. I'm pretty sure. That he uh, no, I, th I thought she was one. Of... Yeah, I can't remember. Um, more more importantly, uh, I do remember that Topher Grace had a very chaotic role in uh in under the silver lake. I believe. Shout out yeah. to him. I think his name's Chris. That's one of those things where you find out that's that's the shortened name for someone named Christopher. It really makes my head spin. Honestly, <laughs> I mean, yeah, like, yeah, you, yeah. There. you don't really process that. Yeah, Bar Buddy, Sam's unnamed friend who helps him with an investigation surrounding the disappearance of Sarah. One last point that I did want to make about the blending of movie and TV is that it's not only just the production per square inch or like the budget per minute. I think you were talking about how like movie yeah. budget is just larger. Than what you should expect with TV shows. I mean, you see that even in the Marvel shows, the cost is crazy, right? Like shows like Loki costing like 25 million an episode. But at the end of the day, like you're getting like three more hours, four more hours out of that show than you would for the $200 million movie version yeah. that's only two hours long, right? So, like, even that, like the amount of production value that's going in to what you're watching it is lower. And yeah. But like even taking it a step further than that, because I think that was a really good point that you made earlier, taking a step further than that, I think, like being really honest, I think there is a big difference. And the job is different, too. And I think this goes back to the point maybe at the very beginning that Denny's making around what like like dialogue driven versus like visual driven. Right. I think mm -hmm. I think that this goes back to that. But like the kinds of people who are who are making TV shows, even the people who are best at making TV shows are not generally speaking, film directors. And I don't mean that as like a, like a cudgel to like bludgeon Christopher Storer with, who's like a, an amazing, you know, TV make, maker. But like, that is not, like his job is not, to, is not to do what Martin Scorsese is doing. Like when you watch the first five minutes of Killers of the Flower Moon, like you feel that you're watching something different. Like the, like yeah. the, like, that's how I felt at least. I mean, I don't want to speak for other people, but I said this on the Killers of the Flower Moon pod that we did. But I was like, the first scene goes by and you're like, you're watching a movie. And I know that's like yeah. kind of like a memeable thing to say, but you, I think you really feel, at least I feel like I do when I'm in a movie theater, like I really feel that part of that is the experience. 
right? But also part of that is the people making those movies. Like that, like they going back to a point you made even earlier, like they they know how to make a movie. They're not rusty, right? Like they're they know what they're doing, they've honed their craft, and that craft is fundamentally different than what TV is. And again, it's not a it's not a one or the other better or worse thing. It, it's just those things are separate. Like what I want out of a TV show, like what I want when I sit down to watch True Detective Night Country is like different than what I want when I sit down to watch Seven, right? Like I'm like they're like even though they're the same subgenre of like murder mystery thriller type things, like I'm not expecting the same experience when I sit down to watch those things. Yeah. And frankly, if I had the same experience watching True Detective Night Country as I did watching Seven, it'd be really weird because like the time that you're sustaining that over is so different. And yeah. I think that's a it's a really interesting point how those things do get blended together. And I do think that because engagement is becoming so much more important over time with streaming services and this idea of like you need to watch the next thing on our platform, like Netflix, yeah. Netflix, not it's not really just about subscribing to Netflix at this point. It's like Netflix wants you to spend your entire night watching stuff on Netflix. And the way you do that is through making things like TV. Because movies, uh, they're two hours long, right? And I think that can literally be in the form of like, we're going to make TV shows and that's what we're going to push towards you. And I think that can make your TV start or your movie start to feel like TV too. When and it's, I think it works both ways. Like, so over the course of this conversation, it's like so many other, you know, discussion topics have come through in my mind too. But there's something sure. to be said about, I think this is a phenomenon with a lot of people that I know. Maybe this is totally anecdotal, but so many people I know would be, are always willing to watch multiple episodes of a thing that the total time far, far eclipses what a movie is, yeah. but because in theory they have the out and the idea that, well, if I wanted to stop this, I could. it's only 45 minutes to watch this yeah. episode. Um, that, that aspect of it is really funny. And I think that kind of goes hand in hand with something that Scott Harvey talked about a little bit is the sort of backgroundification of movies and TV, this idea that people have this as this passive experience, which is, just on a personal level, something that I have basically zero interest in just yeah. having something on to be on. But that is, I think like arguably as common, if not more common a way for people to watch a TV show or, or even movies than actually sitting down and, and really paying full attention to them. It's this idea of like, hundred percent. I, I think that's do. absolutely true. There's, there, it's that there's, you know, in today's day and age, there's too much to do slash watch and not enough time to do it. And so we have to, you know, fit it all together. Uh, and there are parts of my life that I'm watch. guilty of that in, right? Like I watch NBA games with like a laptop in front of me or like well, yeah. you know, certain sports, things, but sports, I think it comes, sports when it comes what to I do like it for movies, you. it's like, that drives me insane because art. then it's also sports like, like there are art. people I know that really love movies and, and watch interesting stuff. But sometimes they tell me the way they watch stuff, and I'm like, "Yeah, are you out of your fucking mind? Like, what do you? How can you watch something that's in your mind like this interesting and important and worth your time, but to devote forty five percent of yeah, your but attention not all my it? time. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's just it's just wild. And like, look, I, I get that I'm different than a lot of people in that aspect, but I think that that too has has made people's relationship to movies just very different. Where sometimes it is just passive casual experience and i'm not saying that that's necessarily wrong listen people a lot of people have a lot more stressful and, and tiring day-to-day -day lives and routines than me 
or any of the three of us, honestly. And I get the, the, the impulse to want a certain type of thing, but like when that just becomes the way we all interact with the thing and it sort of devalues those special experiences where you really dive into and are absorbed by something. Yeah. That's where I get bummed and, and frustrated with the way that I think that a lot of these, these movies are, are sort of being treated and ideated and it's warped the way that I think some of them are, aren't able to get made too. And and some things that get no's and some things that don't get a certain platform. It's like, because there, the audience has certain sensibilities that make it hard to, you know, are impossible to appreciate what's, what's being done or attempted. Yeah. And not, not to be old man yelling at sky uh, about this, but I, I think like, I think social media is like a big part of that, right? Like this sort mm -hmm. of like complete war for attention of which social media is probably one of the biggest fighters in that war with movies, with TV, with video games, just being on TikTok, being on, you know, watching YouTube, YouTube videos, which is a little bit different because then you start to bridge into long form content. It sort of bridges the gap but like Instagram reels, like those things are so mindless. It sort of is teaching you that like when you're I, I think I just really believe that like it just sort of teaches you to like not have the attention span to watch mm -hmm. something to watch a TV episode, let alone a movie and, and and i think for some people it's not all of all of one and none of the other i do think it's mixed right there still are these sort of unique experiences where someone goes to the theater to watch barbie or watch oppenheimer and those the not that there isn't something still sacred about that but this to this blending notion i think that that sort of competition for time in the home has expanded so much over the last 20 to 25 years 30 years and away from a sort of like you know almost like a, a cultural uh, homogeny mm -hmm. to where there's so many different things to consume. And again, I think social media is such a big part of that, that, you know, like it teaches your brain to, to not just be like, Oh, there's so much for me to consume, but it's like, I can consume these things in a mindless way because yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm just scrolling through Twitter or scrolling through Instagram or scrolling. Well, again, it's like, you're looking at like the fact that now a lot of people like, I don't know, watch like the Godfather, the same place they watch some stupid Instagram reel or not Instagram, but like YouTube video. Like, it's like the fact that it has all become in the same form has sometimes been delivered in the same form does, I think, flatten its, yeah. its specialness and value yeah. and what and how and which aspects of it that we care about. Right. Whether yeah. it's how it looks or how it sounds. Um I think sound is a big thing too. Like that's, this is kind of, a, again, another rabbit hole, but like a lot of this, like streaming original movies, like the sound is so bad because it's being forced to be compressed and compressed and compressed. And it's like, it's your TV, and, man. It's your TV speakers. They suck. You just need to get by. I, oh, I have to use headphones, but that's a whole other, whole other thing. <laughs> roommates, you know, Scott, any um, last thoughts on this topic? Not really. He's done. I'm very, I'm very He's too busy watching that. Selena and Chef in the background. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're recording the podcast. All right, guys. Well, this was interesting. I think that we'll probably release this. This was fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, do it. Un unclear if if all of the stuff will make the edit or not, but I'll leave this in to make people wonder. What they We've meant. made so many allusions to pot things potentially being or not being included that I think it's really going to have people 
desperately wanting to know more. Yeah. Look, all I know is that we definitely can't keep in what Scott said about 20 minutes ago on the podcast. Like we ha- uh, definitely uh, have to remove that. Uh, that's I mean, okay, cause so. I want to have a, a career and family and all of that. So yeah. All right. <laughs> that should do it for episode 265 of something like it's got uh, our first episode of J-O-O. Is that what you said earlier? Yeah, just yeah, J-O-O. Opinions. Yeah, just our opinion. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, there's something there. Maybe I'll use it because I'm creatively bankrupt and lazy and can't come up with anything on my own. But, Paul, any anything you want to plug on here while you have the the space? Um, Not really, you know? Just try to be a good person out there, you know? How's everyone doing? I hope, <laughs> okay. hope you guys are doing all right. Well, all right. <laughs> Weird, weird that see you, you at the movies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, see you at the movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Sky, anything from you? You want uh, to plug yeah. your madam, your madam web TikTok review? <laughs> no, uh, unfortunately, the TikTok reviews were short lived. But I, I am uh, at Scarvy Dent on all platforms, including Letterboxd. So, and follow your your mock trial team at Orcs. Look at that. We're go- we're going to Orcs. We are still trying to figure out where they're going to leave it till the very last minute to tell us where they're going to send us. I have they may send us to Los Angeles at this point. Uh, I was going to I was going to that Paul, joke. You can but... hang out with Paul in Los yeah. Angeles. Uh, uh, yeah, I think I'm busy going. that weekend. Sorry, <laughs> you haven't even said what weekend, but I think yeah, yeah I'm yeah. definitely going to be working that. Week. I did understand. I'm definitely going to be picking I did up understand the, chest. the joke, but thank you. <laughs> All right. Well, you can find me at Shelton two zero one three on Twitter on Letterboxd. Don't forget to also check out our podcast on Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd appreciate that. If not, that's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared this new formatted episode with your friends, because maybe they don't watch movies, but would be interested in hearing these thoughts. I don't know. But we'd love Drop to- Drop your suggestions in the in the comments below. I don't know what no, Well, I'm not, no comments. Comments are turned off on this because of what Scott said earlier in the podcast. We can't have comments <laughs> on this episode. Well, what, if, um, anyway. what if Redacted wants to reach out anyway? Sure. Anyway. Yeah. Michael Campbell, reach out and, uh, with the slander that you received on this podcast. We really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us. Uh, listen to just our opinions, I guess. We can just say that. We'll be back next week with the discussion of Denis Villeneuve's Dune Part 2. We're so back. Paul, you'll also be back very soon. You'll be back on in a few weeks for our awards episode. If that's still happening. Uh, but next week, we will be so back with Dune Part 2. We hope you'll join us for that. But until then, uh, for Scott Harvey and Paul Yama, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time. Stay frosty. Stay frosty.